You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks. Whether you find yourself in a good place, maybe a difficult place, or perhaps even in a very lonely place, you've come to the right place. Pastor Richard will challenge and encourage you today with a Christmas season message of God's greatest gift, Emmanuel, the hope of the world, as we share the 25 Talks of Christmas all this month on Richard Ellis Talks. Now, a reminder that you can always listen to, download, and even share this or any talk with a friend right from the Advent calendar on the website, richardellistalks.com. So let's jump right in with today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Holy Day Inn. I want to talk to you a little bit today about hospitality and a little bit of background here on the, not the Holy Day Inn, but the Holiday Inn. A guy named Kemans Wilson finally died at age 90 back in 2003, and he was the founder of the Holiday Inns. First one opened in Memphis back in 1952. Let me read you a little history about him. Wilson opened the first Holiday Inn Hotel on August 1st, 1952 in Memphis after he returned from a family road trip discouraged over the lack of family and value-oriented lodging. Keeman saw an opportunity to provide consistent lodging options and a trusted brand name on the road. From this experience, Wilson's vision emerged and an American icon was born. He created a place where children stayed free and families were treated to a swimming pool, air conditioning, and a restaurant at the property. Rounding out the ideal travel experience, Wilson also offered in-room telephones, televisions, free ice, and free parking at his properties. Although commonplace today, these services were revolutionary at the time and set a standard for every hotel that would follow. And I'm not actually a pastor, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Holiday Inn, Crown Plaza, you know, they're all over the place. There are thousands of these things. We have a number of people in our church in the hospitality industry, and you know something about what it takes to be in that. One of my favorite hotel slogans, if you go to an employee at any Ritz-Carlton in the world and you go up to them and say, kind of, what is your motto as a hotel? This is what it is. Ladies and gentlemen served by ladies and gentlemen. And that's how they try to run their hotels. Let me read you another story I found, and there's some facts on this one that you can tweak a little bit if you do some research, but this is the one that's out there. One stormy night many years ago, an elderly man and his wife entered the lobby of a small hotel in Philadelphia. Trying to get out of the rain, the couple approached the front desk, hoping to get some shelter for the night. Could you possibly give us a room here, the husband asked. The clerk, a friendly man with a winning smile, looked at the couple and explained that there were three conventions in town. All of our rooms are taken, the clerk said, but I can't send a nice couple like you out in the rain at one o'clock in the morning. Would you perhaps be willing to sleep in my room? It's not exactly a suite, but it will be good enough to make you folks comfortable for the night. While the couple declined, the young man pressed on. Don't worry about me. I'll make out just fine, the clerk told him, so the couple agreed. As he paid his bill the next morning, the elderly man said to the clerk, you're the kind of manager who would be the boss of the best hotel in the United States. Maybe someday I'll build one for you. The clerk looked at them and smiled. The three of them had a good laugh, and as they drove away, the elderly couple agreed that the helpful clerk was indeed exceptional, as finding people who are both friendly and helpful isn't easy. Two years passed. The clerk had almost forgotten the incident when he received a letter from the old man. It recalled the stormy night and enclosed a round-trip ticket to New York, asking the young man to pay them a visit. The old man met him in New York and led him to the corner of 5th Avenue and 34th Street. 
He then pointed to a great new building there, a palace of reddish stone with turrets and watchtowers thrusting up to the sky. That, said the older man, is the hotel I have just built for you to manage. You must be joking, said the young man. I can assure you that I'm not, said the older man, a sly smile playing around his mouth. The older man's name was Wildem Waldorf Astor, and the magnificent structure was the original Waldorf Astoria Hotel. The young clerk who became its first manager was George C. Bolt. This young clerk never foresaw the turn of events that would lead him to become the manager of one of the world's most glamorous hotels. Hospitality. It is one of the coolest words in all of the Bible. And if you look it up, it's a word, philonexia. Sounds like some type of addiction, really. But philonexia translates this way. These two words together, philonexia, means lover of strangers. And people in the hospitality industry have to be lovers of strangers because that's all you get all the time is people coming off the street. Someone once said, hospitality is making your guests feel at home even though you wish they were. <laughs> Turn to Luke chapter 2. And I want to go to Luke and read you a little passage and then we'll go over to Genesis and kind of move left to right a little bit and look at some things in the scripture that tie in with not only hospitality but this time of the year. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 and following. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It didn't turn out as well for Mary and for Joseph and for baby Jesus because there wasn't a place, there wasn't anybody offering a room, just a stable. And I think if I could make a movie about the birth of Jesus, it would not be the hermetically sealed version of nothing. It all seems very clean and straw and sheep and shepherds and angels. If you've ever seen a baby born, it's one of the messiest things you've ever seen in your life. But there is a picture that got in my mind, even in regard to this, where they ended up and where this baby had to be born, that Jesus started his life covered in blood, and he ended his life covered in blood. Blood being born, but blood shed at the end so that we could be born again. So don't ever think this is some clean, no problems, Mary screamed like anybody else, no epidurals. It's just a baby being born, but in a very difficult place. Why? Because there was no room for them in the end. And if you look at the word where this word in comes from, it's of travelers to halt on a journey, to put up lodge, the figurative expression originating in the circumstances that to put up for the night the straps and packs of the beasts of burden are unbound and taken off, or more correctly from the fact that the traveler's garments tied up when he is on the journey are unloosed at an end. And so they had a place to tie all this stuff up, and literally that's where they ended up. Now jump over to Genesis chapter 18 with me for a few minutes. We'll do 18, 19, and then come back to the New Testament. It is very difficult to be a church and not be a lover of strangers. And one of the perplexing things, and I'll say this before we even get into Genesis, 
One of my dilemmas recently has been the controversy out there of large churches in America calling off services on a Christmas day that lands on a Sunday. Their argument is, maybe small churches as well, but their argument is we're having 13, 20, however many services all week, Christmas Eve, we've had church. But here's your dilemma. If you're going to have Lighthouse Sunday and call it that, and then you close the Lighthouse on that Sunday, it doesn't seem much like Lighthouse Sunday. And their argument may be, well, you know, but we've had all these services and we've told all of our customers, all of our people, that there is no church on Sunday, that it's a family day, we're going to be home. The problem is that you turn it in to almost to hell with you, everybody else Sunday, who didn't get the memo. And I think of people that I've been inviting and talking to for the last however many years, you have friends, you have neighbors, and you say to them, you know, I've got this great church, and, and you'll be welcome, you'll be loved, and some of them are single, some of them are widows and widowers, someone their family isn't going to show up and come see them, and in their brain, that welcome, that we love you, that you're going to fit in, they're going to wrap their arms around you, come to our church, and they wake up on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, say, you know, they've been inviting me to go, tomorrow, I'll go tomorrow. And they drive to our little lighthouse, and they pull up, and there's nobody there because we're all with our family. This isn't just about family. It's about strangers. It's about new people who aren't in this family yet. And you say, well, but it's Christmas, and we need to be with our little family, and we need to open our presents and do our traditional things. You know what? Some people don't have all that. And at some point, it gets into serving someone else and saying, you know what, for God's sake, why can't we once every seven years lay our own stuff down and say, Lord, we've come to worship you, but we're going to bring some friends with you and show them that this is what this whole thing's about. Genesis chapter 18, verse 1 and following. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him, And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought. Now look at the hospitality. And I'm only using you a few examples. The Old Testament is replete with situations where strangers would come and the custom and the right thing to do was to take people in and to serve them, take care of their animals. Even wives were found based on whether the wife would water the animals, just simple things that were applied to taking care of strangers and serving them. My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree and I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. And this is talking about Abraham. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared, and he set it before them, and he stood by them under the trees as they ate killed an animal, went to great lengths, to great trouble to take care of strangers. And I think he figured out who they were. What if Bethlehem had known who this pregnant little girl was and who she carried? Think of the reception that would have been thrown out. I love the fact that Jesus not sneaks up on us, but he shows up and you got to be paying attention. And it's possible that somebody listening today, you think, well, I don't get it. It's just a church and a building and they don't even have a church building and it's just a bunch of all kind of people and 
How can anything extraordinary happen here? Jesus could walk in here, walk around, tap you, and if you're not paying attention, you'd leave and miss the whole thing. Genesis chapter 19, go one other chapter over verse 1. These angels go from Abraham. Look what happens. We give Lot a bad rap, but look what happens when they get to Sodom. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and he said, Here now, my lords, please turn in to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. We'll just stay outside. And he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered into his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate it. Now, I, I hate admitting junk like this. I really do. Because I'm going to read you a verse, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Now, this little verse talks about an elder, a bishop, in a church. And part of what the role of this elder or bishop is and the characteristics of a person like this, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, hospitable, got to love strangers. And I'm going to tell you something. I love strangers. I love strangers so much that I almost leave the family behind. And this is going to be a problem going forward, I'm sure. Because you say, well, you know what? There's new people coming. And he seems to love the strangers more than he loves us. It is our responsibility to be a family and take care of each other. But we cannot forget the strangers. I was a stranger once to this God, to this whole thing. You were a stranger once and didn't think anybody would take you in. And maybe you tried churches your whole life. You went and visited, and you were the wrong color. You were the wrong class. You were the wrong education. You were the wrong everything. Let me tell you something. God, have mercy on our souls if we get to heaven one day. And he says, what were you thinking? I left you to be lovers of strangers. Jesus is, was, and will always be a lover of strangers. We are the strangest thing that ever existed, a bunch of sinners that God made, and yet God said, I'm going after them. And he leaves us here for what? To go after somebody else. I can stand here and see you well enough. I can start and go down the aisles, and I can pick out people who were pretty strange when they came in, honestly. Some pretty strange. Some angry, some bitter. Some had resentment. But you know what? Along the way, God changed their heart, and they began to believe that not only God loved them, but there was a group of people that would love them and take them in. And they came back, and they came back. And it's not that we don't screw up, and we don't have problems, and can't make mistakes. And what I don't like admitting is as much as I love strangers, I get in my own house, I get in my own space, and try to get away and withdraw and I don't know that I'm always crazy. I love people in my house that swing in our house. We swing people. I mean, hundreds of people in my house. But there are times when I say, God, just give me a little space, a little time, just a little retreat. And I think Jesus did that, and that's a good thing along the way. But don't ever cocoon so far and get so comfortable. It's like parents who finally get their kids out of diapers and don't ever want to see anything with diapers again. If a church is alive and breathing and well, there will always be dirty diapers to change. It's just part of the drill. It's just part of who we are. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. And here the writer says, Let brotherly love continue. And listen to this phrase in verse 2. Do not forget to entertain strangers, 
For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. And we read about that in Genesis. For all you know, somebody walking it out of here, just showing up to just a test. A man sat right down here a few years ago. And I'd done a sermon the week before and didn't speak that Sunday, but I sat with Rebecca a few rows back. And part of that sermon the week before was about taking anybody in, no matter what they smell like, look back. And this guy came in, he was quiet, he was a homeless gentleman. He sat down right there, and he had a radius, he had an odor radius of about 20 feet. And I sat three rows behind him, and I was in that radius. He didn't disturb anything, sat there quietly. He just had nowhere to take a bath, hadn't had a bath, and smelled like human everything. And I literally sat back there, and for all I know, I don't know if angels can smell bad, but if he was an angel, he smelled pretty bad. And it was almost like God sent him in and said, okay, what are you going to do with him? And I sat the whole service with my nose buried in my wife's hair to not gag on the odor that was coming off that man. And that was my test for the day. What are you going to do with him? And what is it that repulses us and causes us to say, you know what? The people that our Jesus died for at least know how to take a bath. The people that our Jesus died for at least have some decent clothes to wear. And you start running these traps and describing the Jesus that our, you know, that died for the kind of people we're trying to reach. And who are those people? First Peter chapter 4. One of the coolest things that ever happened to me in Christmas. I worked at a church downtown Dallas years ago, and I don't even think I was working there when this happened, but Rebecca and I were going into church, and out on the sidewalk was a couple, and it turned out they were a couple from Italy, and they were in Dallas for the holidays and touring the United States. And there they were, and they didn't speak a lot of great English, and we kind of looked at each other and said, would you like to come in? They came in and had church with us. And long story short, we ended up saying to them, you know what, where are you going for Christmas? And they said, well, we don't know. We loaded them up and took them to Rebecca's parents. And we left them there, and we went on a trip. <laughs> we loaded them up, and we took complete strangers with us down to her parents, and we showed them what an entire American Christmas, at least by the bunch down there, does it. But they were part of the family, and we introduced them to everybody. You think, well, that's nuts. You don't know those people. You know what? It's the deal. You say, well, that could be dangerous. Terrible things can happen with you. I'm not saying don't be unwise, but when it just becomes about our own little thing and me and my and us and really to hell with the rest of you, that's how they feel. Look around. Ask somebody. Say, where are you spending Christmas? Oh, I don't know. I'll be okay. I like to do it by myself. You know, maybe I don't know too many people want to spend Christmas Day alone. Open your eyes, look around. It isn't going to cost you any more to bring somebody else in. A few more presents, a little more food. They may make your Christmas, not mess it up. Because they can handle your mother-in-law or whatever's going on there. <laughs> First Peter chapter 4, verse 7 and following. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. You say, well, I'm taking in strangers. I love strangers, and I can't believe I'm stuck with this. You know, whatever you're thinking. And really, the mandate in the Scripture is primarily to take care of other believers. Forget jumping out beyond that. We don't even do a very good job sometimes of taking care of our own family. Be hospitable without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it 
to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You go over to Romans chapter 12, last verse, go over there. Romans chapter 12, verses 10 and following. Romans 12, verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. And in all that list, part of that list, the last thing in that list is given to hospitality, be a lover of strangers. Late one night, a salesman drove into a strange city and tried to get a room in a hotel. The clerk informed him that there was no vacancy. Disappointed, he started to leave the lobby when a dignified gentleman offered to share his room with him. Gratefully, the traveler accepted his kindness. Just before retiring, the man who had shown such hospitality knelt and prayed aloud. In his petition, he referred to the stranger by name and asked the Lord to bless him. Upon awakening the next morning, he told his guest it was his habit to read the Bible and commune with God at the beginning of each day, and he asked if he would like to join him. The Holy Spirit had been speaking to the heart of this salesman, and when his host tactfully confronted him with the claims of Christ, he gladly received the Savior. As the two were ready to part, they exchanged business cards. The new believer was amazed to read, William Jennings Bryan, Secretary of State. There's all this controversy about happy holidays, Merry Christmas. How about happy holy days? You go back to Luke, a little story, no room in the inn. It's interesting, Jesus is looking for a place to be born again. And I suggest that you make your heart a holy day inn of sorts. And if he comes looking for a place to be born, you say, you know what, I got room in my heart. There's a place here for you. I don't want to miss you. I don't want to turn you away. I hear you're a lover of strangers, and I don't want to be a stranger anymore. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for setting the example, and Lord Jesus, for coming in such a strange way and a stranger to so many, but it turns out you're the greatest lover of stranger there ever was. Father, there are many of us who were and some that still are estranged from you today, and I pray that someone today would make room in their heart for you to be born again and that lives would be changed, that we would simply come to you vulnerably, transparently, and just say, God, I get it. I see it now. I've been trying to do this all by myself. I understand now you love me. You came to live and die and be buried and raised from the dead to pay for my sin, to cover it with your blood, and to offer me not only eternal life as though that weren't enough, but an abundant life between here and heaven. Father, thank you that it includes even me, and proof of that is that I sense in my heart, I know you're after me, and you have been for a long time. My answer is yes, there is a vacancy, and you're welcome here. Come live in me, don't leave me. Thank you for changing me from the inside out with this amazing gift of eternal life and the forgiveness of sins that I accept so freely. And Father, for those of us who claim to be your kids, may we live as such. May we reflect your love for the world, for each other, and for those that aren't even in the family yet. May we look around, reach out, take the time in the hustle and bustle of the holidays, and always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within us to share about the greatest gift we ever received, and that it's available to whoever comes along, Lord, whosoever will. 
You're the best, God. There's nobody like you. And we worship you and praise you and thank you and give you our very lives, not to pay for something you've done for us, but in gratitude for what you've done. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. We hope you're encouraged by Pastor Richard's unique way of challenging us to become more like Jesus, especially during this holiday season. You know, that's the goal of this program and the goal of Richard himself, to be God's hands, feet, and voice, to help us grow in our faith journey and to become a reflection of Jesus to our neighbors, our community, and the world. You know, when you open your heart and life to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that's the beginning point of the most amazing journey you'll ever experience. But it's also a journey that we want to join with you. So we'd love to hear from you, whether you've been on this faith road for a while or just getting started. The website is richardellistalks.com. There's a prayer wall to click on so you can share how we can come alongside you this holiday season. Also, during the 25 Talks of Christmas this month, it's a different holiday-themed program each and every day. So if you miss any previous Christmas talk, just click on the Daily Talks Advent Calendar to listen to, download, or share any of these Christmas talks. It's right there at richardellistalks.com. And finally, a quick reminder that you can automatically receive a direct text on your phone each and every morning that will link you to the most recent Christmas talk on the website. Simply text the word Richard to 855-6-RICHARD. That's the word Richard to our toll-free number 855-6-RICHARD. So, until the next of our 25 talks of Christmas, we love you, We're praying for you, and we thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.